There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. To a brand new Turf Show Times Radio. This is your boy Josh Webb. Pleased to be joined once again by my co-host, by my partner in crime, and by the man who normally fills the captain's chair, Mr. Joe McAtee. Joe, how you doing, man? How are your holidays? How was the trip sure, to LA? Trip to LA. Well, okay, so the trip I had a good time. It was fun. Got to go to the Coliseum, got to see the Rams. The game wasn't great. Uh, but you know, it was good, man. Got to go see my family and it had been about a year since I've been out there. So first time since the Rams move, it was good. I had a good time. How about yourself? Man, I had a great, great, uh, set of holidays. Um, the wife and I, it was the first holidays without her grandfather. So that was a bit rough on the family, but we just kind of ordered pizza and all told stories and it made it, um, made it a little bit better. Got some really cool gifts that I wasn't expecting on expecting on getting. Um, and, uh, more importantly, I, I was able to spend quality time with the family, uh, when everybody in the family kind of needed it the most, um, after, after Chuck's passing. So it was, uh, it's what it's all about, like you say. But uh, before we get into practically two hours of awesome Ramsdom, I want to take like five, ten minutes and talk. It's our damn show, right? Let's talk about the you Bulls. Know. Let's talk about the Bulls. Can we yeah. Can we take five to ten minutes to talk about the Bulls? <sighs> well, there's, see, here's the thing that I think is interesting is what – do do we know what's happening for sure? Do you think do you think you got a good grasp on what's happening? After the Bulls? Yeah. No. Yeah, me either. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think that that settled anything for me other than Clemson was a really really good team that beat Alabama. Sure. But uh Penn State and USC was probably awesome. The most entertaining bowl game. Sorry, Clemson and Alabama. I know Clemson won on the final seconds, but 
the Rose Bowl was still probably the best. Um, the first, I, the I, first half of the Rose Bowl was one billion times better than the first half of the championship. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The Rose Bowl had scoring in both halves, which helped. And both. It was awesome. It was fucking awesome. And I have no idea how Penn State ripped off seven straight drives that resulted in a touchdown and lost the game. <laughs> but they ripped off seven straight drives that resulted in a touchdown. In fact, had three touchdowns on three plays. In, in, yeah, in, yeah. in one stretch there, three touchdowns on three straight plays. And uh, they still lost the game. That was an insane bowl game. Um, you know, man, here's what I got to say about I, I think the thing that, that stood out to me about that game is not nothing really to do with USC or Penn State, so to speak. But it was the overall quarterback play of Sam Darnold and Trace McSorley. Those guys were unleashing passes that they had no business throwing, but they were trusting their receivers to make plays. Incredible plays, but plays nonetheless, and, and they did. And it's amazing what can happen when you have two guys with NFL talent, with an NF, basically an NFL-esque roster around them, making plays because they trust in the process. I hate that phrase and they trust in their receivers, but that was all of that unfolding. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say between the two of them and obviously we're just now, we just got through the wild card round of the NFL. Those are maybe between college and the NFL, the two teams that managed the schedule right down the stretch where those were like not just the two most improved teams. They were still improving as the damn game went on, you know, offensively and between Trace McSorley and and Sam Darnold, you wonder like how, how are they going to come out in 2017? Because everything they did through the back end stretch of 2016 was pretty much perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to me. um, (laughs) How you can play that well, Across a stretch of time like that, I mean, even Jalen Hurts wasn't putting up those kinds of numbers, and he had, I mean, the kid's all the talent in the world. I'm sure he's a five-star. Most people that play for Bama usually are five-star, four-star of some kind. Um, and, 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 and yet you see the difference between what happens when you have a Jalen Hurts and what happens when you have a Deshaun Watson, if that sure. makes sense. And he, he- it does, but even then, like th- those programs, and even with those quarterbacks who are completely different quarterbacks, we're going through kind of, you know, different senses of roller coasters. I mean, even the championship game, you look at Deshaun Watson, he didn't have a dominating first half. It's just they got everything clicking down the stretch, and in the fourth quarter, really made some big plays. You know, you look at Alabama, they kind of had, you know, they had that undefeated season, but it was somewhat up and down at points where, you know, they dominated USC at the beginning, and they, you thought, okay, this is going to be that kind of a team, and they had a couple games where they, they kind of surprised with a struggle. But you look at USC and Penn State, both of them started out really rough. Obviously, USC, you know, going to Sam Darnold changes everything. But if you, if you graph kind of the, the trend of their season, both USC and Penn State accelerated and, and, and improved the entire year going up to and through the bowl game. I think that was that was what made the Rose Bowl so fun was that the, both teams just kept getting better. You could have let them play another four quarters and they would have just keep get, they would have kept going. Yeah, better I'm not sure who would have won that game. If, if yeah, exactly. They were both nuts. I was kind of hoping the kick was going to be no good just so we would go over time 
but uh, you know, I thought that there was a quote about USC made by Nick Saban to me that summed up then. Before the playoff game against Washington, uh, somebody asked Nick Saban about what can you learn from what USC did uh, against Washington. You guys played a, a, a similar opponent. And Nick Saban comes out and says, no, we played the same team, but I'm not sure I'd say we played the same, you know, we played a similar yeah, yeah. opponent. Yep. Like, and, and Nick Saban's dead on balls accurate there, to, to quote yeah. my cousin Vinny. What what Washington played was not the same team. Not that I think that that USC team would have beat Alabama. They they were lucky to get out of that Penn State game with a win. I, 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 I mean – Maybe luck is, is a bad word to use. They, they definitely had to make plays, but they yeah. were fortunate. How about that? Fortunate. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, 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 think, I think that the two best teams played for the title this year. I have no problem with the playoff format as, as the way it went down. The only change I would have made – although it would have ruined a perfectly great Rose Bowl, is I do not think Ohio State should have been in the playoff. And I think moving right. forward, there needs to be a, a, a rule. You simply cannot be considered. I don't give a shit what the metrics say. I don't give a damn if you manage to avoid this team or that team because they weren't on your schedule in conference play this year. If you don't win your division, if you don't win your conference, you are not – and you will not convince me that you are one of the best four teams in college football. And that played itself out as Ohio State was statistically the worst team in, in the four. They didn't put up a point. Even Washington managed an easily seven against Alabama. Yeah, I just think the only the only thing I think is tough is when you've got yeah, I, I, I could understand the argument that Penn State should have gone over Ohio State just because of conference. I, I, to me, I think it just makes sense to have a playoff where they're both in it and, and oh, where USC is in it. And, and you look at Oklahoma and the way they finished the season. They might have been as hot as USC and Penn State. It's just weird that – and I get it. It's arbitrary, the difference between a four-game and an eight-game playoff. And, you know, recency bias. This is one of those years where an eight-team playoff would have made things a little bit cleaner. Maybe next year a four-team playoff comes out looking really clean, right? Uh but it's just, one, it's just one of those things where you look at those teams, the, the, the Michigan-Florida State Bowl game, which was an incredible game. Um, there's just, there's just incredible. so much talent. When you saw the, yeah, when you saw the semifinals play out the way they did, it just wasn't satisfying for Washington and Ohio State. Do you think that that has – I want to ask you something real quick. Do you think that that has to do with the teams being selected – or do you think that has to do with the way that the committee – see, in my opinion, okay, you move in Ohio State. Let, let's say I get past that argument and I accept the fact that Ohio State is is in. How the hell are they a three seed? I'm not, I'm not sure. Here, part of what also colors this, to be fair, is you're talking about an Alabama-Clemson rematch where those teams have been there before. And to a degree, Ohio State, but Ohio State lost so much talent, and obviously Washington wasn't there, where you know maybe they weren't uh, prepared for that opportunity in terms of Washington and, and whatever happened to Ohio State. That one, that one was more of a shock. I, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, Clemson and Alabama were clearly, like you said, the best team 
uh, in the country over the course of the entire season and the way they played it out down the stretch only verified that. It's just one of those things where when you get those games and the three and four come out looking so much uh, less prepared than the one and two, you, you just wonder would somebody else, whether it was USC, Penn State, Oklahoma, whomever you want to throw in as the hypothetical, put up a little bit more of a fight in those semifinals. It, it just it begs the question. And like you said, when you talk about conference championships, you know, and and you don't have them in there, it begs the question: What the hell they're for? Yeah, I agree. I I, I think my biggest problem with it all is that if I look at the way that it's set up, Clemson uh, obviously should have been well, Alabama one and two. However, you want to mix that up is fine with me. I would obviously have Alabama at one since they've been undefeated. But you look at Ohio State coming in at number three, it completely changes the matchups. See, uh, it puts Washington against Ohio, uh, Washington against an Alabama team that a lot of people figured they would roll over, whereas Ohio State have had their success, especially Urban Meyer has had his success against Nick Saban. And Ohio State manages to avoid them as a three seed. It didn't matter much because Clemson beat the crap out of them. But why Ohio State, having not won anything that year, was a number three seed ahead of a team that won the Pac-12 South, or won the Pac-12, including the North, that mystifies me. I don't care much about, is, is Ohio State, I mean, I guess I do care a little, do they belong in, do they not belong in? I just think that when the committee, the committee likes to do this. They like to fudge the process just a little when it comes to one, two, three, and four, because I think they think they'll end up getting a different matchup in in the finals, one that will produce the results that they wanted. And I think until the committee stops messing with that and just says, okay, in all honesty, Ohio State's probably the fourth best team out of these three, out of these four. Uh, then, then I don't really know if we're ever going to get clarity. You know, it, it, I don't know. It was, but it was great for the fans this year. It truly was. After yeah. such a down year in college football, uh, well, this was kind of what we deserved. And it was a, it was a down second half. I mean, you didn't get a lot of drama out of the late games outside of Ohio State, and Michigan. You just didn't get a lot of drama out of the stretch run compared to other years. I mean, look at the Heisman race. That was probably. I can't, I can't remember, and maybe you've got one offhand. That was the most boring Heisman race that I can remember. Uh, I don't have one offhand. It, it, that was, it, it, I, I tweeted it, something to that effect. It, it can't be that bad next year, can it? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't remember one ever being that. Now maybe that's just me not remembering. But you were just waiting for somebody to claim that mantle, and nothing was happening. There was no. There was no major opportunities. There were no major performances, and Lamar Jackson walked away with it on the strength of his September and October. You know, and it, it makes never you wonder. Happens. It never, never happens. happens. You know, and so it, I think that was that was my bigger takeaway from the college football standpoint. From an NFL standpoint, it's completely different. But from a college standpoint, that was one of the weirder, you know, last five weeks to a college. What's season. your NFL takeaway? Give me your NFL. Uh, takeaway. And, I, th- I think the NFL takeaway is that, you know, quarter quarterbacks still matter more than anything. I think we've had a couple drafts where the quarterback position has been really weird, where you had like a, a Blake Bortles coming out of Central Florida, where you had, you know, some of these specific pro- – like a, a Carson Wentz from North Dakota State. And I, it kind of to me is that – 
it's not necessarily that, that Deshaun Watson deserves to be number one overall. It's that there are certain quarterbacks that innately can run their or do the things that they're supposed to do, whatever that is, whatever their system is, you know, outside of like a Jeff Fisher thing, but normal offensive systems, if they can do them, and they can they can do them enough. It's good enough. It doesn't matter what it is. So it's not about dual threat or pocket pad. You know, college obviously throws out a lot of these wonky things. But but when you see Trace McSorley and Sam Darnold and Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield, all these guys doing the things they're supposed to do, that mat that's all that matters for the quarterback position. And that, in a year when we're about to get some. Again, some really weird stuff going on with quarterbacks. With Mitch Trubisky, a guy who does not have an incredibly long starting resume, when you've got a lot of questions for some of the other guys coming out, and you look forward to a 2017 year where you got a lot of quarterbacks returning. You got a because you had so many young guys playing this year. Yeah, you know, I think that position, and especially for the Rams, who now that they're tied to Jared Goff, or uh, you know, there's no way around it. We're going to be looking at the next couple drafts at quarterback and asking, what if uh, the Rams had been able to hold off of Jared Goff? Uh, I think that's going to be an unavoidable thing. Let, before we get on to the NFL stuff, let me ask you this, man: early stuff for 2017 is is USC the number one team? Is it is it too no. ballsy to put them at number one? No, I, I I hate that, and I hate this because it always happens with SC. Sure. But but let me ask you something, man. When you watched USC pay, play Penn State, did you think that's a damn good offensive line, man? Like nobody touches Sam Darnold. That, here's my bigger problem: was USC has talent on defense, and they yeah. ripped. They got ripped. Yeah. Like yep. it was, you know, you, for Corey Jackson for... supposedly supposed to be, and I thought this is a great stat that was tossed out during the game. That's the seventh touchdown. Adoree, Adore, I think Adoree Jackson had allowed touchdown seven, eight, nine in that game. For a guy who's supposedly a lockdown corner, nine touchdowns in a season isn't very lockdowny. And the thing is, he's athletic as hell. He's almost like a Jabril Peppers at corner. Athletic as hell, makes all kinds of plays, but technically, he he obviously leaves you wanting in some big, big, big ways, man. Do you know what I think that has to do with? And I'll be very brief here. I think it has to do with the fact that USC has spent so many times, so many, so much time, rather pleasing him. And making good on their recruitment of him by playing him in every different spot and billing him as, you know, that Charles Woodson can-do-it-all type guy, even drawing up their Heisman campaign around Charles Woodson. You don't see those because uh, you don't get the USC media guy. It's not that that's a big thing or anything, but but I see him. <laughs> and it's weird because – you're, you're seeing this Heisman pitch, but they're doing it through the lens of somebody that already played. It's like, hey, our guy should win the Heisman because he did a thing that was as good as a guy back in 1997. You know, like yep. that's yeah. I don't know how much you can really help a young man grow if you're playing him sure. in 15 different positions. And that's all I'd say. Yeah. That's part of the other thing I'd say, and this is an easy segue to obviously the Rams coaching searches. One of the things I spent a lot of time thinking about is the fact that we just don't get a lot of great information on position coaches and detail coaches. And so, you know, you, you, I have to wonder from the outside looking in and I, you know, I'll catch something on USC probably two, three times a week. And I probably saw six USC games this year, but, but I don't, I, do they have coaching in place, whether it's the secondary coach or whomever, 
to help develop a cornerback like Adore Jackson to make him a better cornerback. You know what I mean? Um, and, 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 and so that it's one of those things that you know when when we talk about the Rams and promoting coordinators and look at resumes of guys when they came up from position coaches, we don't get a lot of information as fans as to what those coaches are doing and how well they're doing it versus those peers. Like we talk about power rankings of teams, it's very easy. You know the way we were just talking about Ohio State being rated third. There's easy ways to make arguments about whether or not they they should be there. Yeah, think about this: if you were doing a power ranking of the secondary coaches for those teams, we'd have no. No information to go off of except for how well those players played and we don't know how they would play with a, a, you know like war uh, wins above replacement with an average coach replacing their current coach if you had an average usc secondary coach would that average coach have made Adderie jackson a better corner or not right and i think that's one of those things that really fascinates me especially when we move towards the draft this year it's just one of those things that syncs up well for rams fans we've looked at all these different position coaches and all their strengths and i think we're going to have to look at that for for a class that isn't going to be headlined by a first rounder the rams are going to have to find guys with some technical skill that are pretty much ready to go for a brand new coaching staff uh, you know I, th- I think that's one of those things where as we kind of transition and- football from the college football to the draft that's going to be really key I hate to interrupt, but Adam Schefter just tweeted, and this is less subject to change, but less than five minutes ago, the Chargers plan to announce as early as Thursday they are moving to Los Angeles, ending a 55-year stint with San Diego, leak sources tell ESPN. Now, yeah, we're going to laugh at it because this is ha- – like, I won't be- – the Chargers, I'm not going to believe it until they've actually moved. This is one of those you've you've yanked my chain enough times when you move, let me know sort of deal. But uh, that'll be interesting to see how the Rams and the Chargers get on next year, um, if indeed they will be sharing the space. Um, so, yeah, here's the, here's the thing, man. I I started writing about this at the beginning of this season, not to try to necessarily make any grand gestures about it, but to be able to point to it a year, two years down the line. Uh, I remember very well when the Rams left Los Angeles, what the outside narrative was, right? Was portrayed, right? And how sports fans in Los Angeles were portrayed. That was obviously after years and years and years of losing and, and with the threat of moving, beating them down. Rams come back this year, tons of excitement for training camp. You were there, you know this, all the hype through the preseason. When I got there by week 17, the fans were beaten down, right? They were beaten down by an ugly product that clearly sucked. But that's year one, man. So if the Chargers are coming to Los Angeles, and the Rams aren't going to get very good very soon, which certainly could be the case. I'm not saying it, it's going to be the case. A lot of things up in the air. You gotta, you gotta wonder, dude, if if this franchise is just stuck in this hollow, you know, part of their franchise resume between the final years in St. Louis and the first, however many years in Los Angeles, where they're just going to be overshadowed nationally, and you know, because they just can't get right. Uh, man, I, I want to say no, but I don't really have any physical or tangible evidence yeah. that I can look to and raise up as a point of order to challenge that notion. And it's only because I was already worried about the Rams in Los Angeles by themselves. You give them an out. You give them a second option. 
Mm-hmm. It's not going to take much for people to just not pay any attention to the Rams again. Well, guys, and this might throw in another interesting wrinkle. Um, I had a friend that, that uh, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and he read something saying that the Chargers might actually do a complete rebrand and rename the team if they move to L.A. Now, yeah, that's what Vinny uh, Bonfiori had been reporting, is that they were going to you know, start from scratch on the logo and name and everything. Patch, well, I don't know how that jibes with this report, uh, which is great. Charles Robinson reported, hearing concern within the Chargers' job is whether a head coach can pitch his offensive staff. Spanless wants to retain, wants whoever takes over to retain those still under contract. I don't know how you can keep the past while moving towards the future. Like, yeah. Usually, once you rebrand, you have to you have to rebrand. Especially if you bring in well, a Jeff, new head Jeff, coach. I'm not sure. I was just gonna say, man. You know, th- there's a coach that's helped move a team that rebranded before when they moved no. from Houston Oilers oh. to the Tennessee Titans. Oh. He knows the market. He knows the LA market. Oh, jeez. Um, but my question um, is... And it appears like they'll be playing the Chargers. Taylor Twelman um, is reporting that he's hearing they'll be playing for the at the StubHub Center. Huh. All right. What? Now... It is going to be an interesting offseason. What you got, Scotty? I was going to say, sorry. If it, were up to, if it were up to you guys, what would you rebrand the Chargers as? Oh, gosh. See, well, I'm biased. I've been a Rams fan all my life. I grew up a Los Angeles Rams fan. It's too iconic for me. I mean, the the logo, the history, you know, to, to me, that's not a franchise you can rebrand. The Rams are so classic. I mean, the first team with, you know, helmet with uh, artistic helmets. Now, I will fully admit I am incredibly biased on that point, but maybe you got something, Josh. I can't, I can't stab at anything. Um, You know what I think would – I, no, it wouldn't work. I was about to say you'd rebrand them as the Clippers, but I'm like, no, people would just get confused. Yes. Sure. And, and I, 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 I don't know, man. L.A., just call it the L.A. who gives a damn and just see who shows up. <laughs> just, 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 just uh, if you're going to call them that, just have their logo be a giant question mark. Sure. Yeah, it's like the Riddler. I'm switching every Every new week, they'll have a new, yeah. new logo. Yeah. It'd be the Raiders versus who this week. That would be yeah. really, that would be the best rebrand in the history of rebrands. I don't know if there's a rule that requires you to have the same team name, like on a week to week basis, you know, because I'm not going to go looking through the oh NFL rulebook for something stupid. But if there is no rule preventing a team from doing that, if you could rename your team every week, that would be the most Chargers thing to do in this situation. Right. I'm, not, I'm interested to see how that goes because we, we haven't seen a rebrand since, well, what was the last one? Was the Titans the last one? Yeah. Cause the Titans uh, yeah, the Titans yeah. was the last one. And um, really, as far as the Clippers go, I don't even think the Clippers should be the Clippers anymore. They should have rebranded when they moved from San Diego. 
Right? Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. But who knows? This isn't the Chargers, so who gives a damn? Yeah. Right, let's talk about what the Chargers do have going on, Joe, because the Broncos made a huge move today, hiring somebody that pretty much nobody thought they were going to hire in Vance Joseph's. This now leaves Kyle Shanahan open. But there's a hitch in this plan for Rams fans who are trying to get Kyle Shanahan in. The Rams, per sources and reports, are completely enamored with McVeigh, who wants to possibly bring in Wade Phillips. Now, McVeigh is not a light-em-up name. He's done well within the limited time that he's been an OC, but that time is definitely limited. Sure. However, the hiring a son of bum is a game changer. Uh-huh. That does change the tune of how seriously you have to look at McVeigh. Now, the question is whether or not Phillips wants to come and play for him. But Phillips seems to be generally good-natured, and even when he lost his job with the Broncos, tweeted the life of a coach, unemployed to Super Bowl champion to unemployed in three years, you know? He knows this business better than most. He's been in it his entire life. There's there's not many people who've been around the NFL as long as Wade Phillips. Nope. With that in mind, where do you calm down? And we'll get to our poll, which Ann asked this question here in a little. But where do you come down on Shanahan versus McVeigh? Yeah, so personally, I'm relatively ambivalent only because I know a lot of fans look at what, – what they look at is the job they did as coordinators, right? To say Shanahan oversaw an offense that did X. McVay saw a Washington offense that did Y and use that to project who they want as head coach. I think the problem with that is the responsibilities from being a head coach versus a coordinator, especially in the NFL, are so radically different. That, that I don't know that it really matters what they did as a coordinator because they're not going to be doing it in all likelihood as a head coach, right? It, it, as a coordinator, you're overseeing one side of the ball. As a head coach, you're managing the managers. You're coaching the coaches. You know what I mean? You've got in-game responsibilities, no doubt. But the, the bulk of your job is, is coaching the coaches and providing strategic oversight that they go then execute. And I, I, I have zero clue uh, – you know who would be better, and that's kind of what the interviews are designed to get at. And obviously, your 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 guys across the league that give you some import. And what we got from the report from Charles Robinson last night uh, was that John Gruden was providing some insight as a informal advisor, uh, which certainly has ties to McVeigh since Gruden's brother's the head coach in Washington. Um, you know, the 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 thing I, I would suggest is that uh, you know. It, all that matters is you get the right guy for the right people at the right time. And I think it's relatively impossible. Look, you see teams that get excited about coaches that fail, and you see teams that you know hire somebody and the fans aren't a big fan, and then it works out incredibly. Look at Jack Del Rio and the Raiders. I remember when Jack Del Rio got hired. I saw a ton of Oakland fans who were like, why would we hire this guy? He made the Jaguars look worse, and then obviously look where he got them with Derek Carr this year and how things are looking for that franchise moving forward. So, you know, we get we get it wrong a lot of the time because we don't have the kind of information that you need for, for what coaches actually do that, that makes them good or bad at their jobs. So I don't necessarily have a personal favorite. What I'm, what I'm interested by in this dynamic is just the idea that the Rams have to figure it out 
not only because there are other guys coming off the market. You know, you got uh, Doug Marone uh, coming off. You got uh, Vance Joseph, obviously, today. You, you're going to have a couple more guys. that If the Rams want to wait to interview Shanahan since they missed it uh, last weekend due to the weather, they're going to have to wait over this next round of the playoffs, which means that there's no certainty that you'll get a second crack at McVay. If he moves on, he may move on permanently and and do so saying, you know what, with enough time, maybe this isn't the right situation for me. Maybe this isn't the time for me to be head coach. And maybe if it is time that Los Angeles isn't the right situation. So, you know, you got to make a decision I'm, now. I'm curious as to what I was thinking about this earlier today. If I'm McVeigh, I was actually thinking about this in context of his wife. Because somebody had asked me something about, you know, would I take a gig, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, a lot of that depends on my wife. I'd have to run some things by her. And I'm like, I'm sure one of the first questions she would ask me is, is do you think that this would be a good move for our family? And if I were McVeigh and I were answering my wife, the honest answer to that question would be, honey, I have no idea. If it works out, sure. If it doesn't, this could be disastrous. Let, now, I can never me, get a head coaching gig again. Now, let me tell you something that might change your mind. Ahead, what if I told you that Sean McVeigh what if I told you Sean McVeigh doesn't have a wife or kids? Well, I'm sure that then he would ask somebody close to him. But if he's no <laughs> wife and kids, then he may just say, screw it, you know? I, I know. mean, look, at this, look, Lane Kiffin, when he was that this age, he yeah. threw caution to the wind and took the Raiders' job when everybody else said he shouldn't take it. And he shouldn't have sure. taken it. He shouldn't have taken any of the jobs following that either. But, he, well, here's what I'd say. He should have picked one. <laughs> he should have just picked one damn job to be good at instead of just changing it, you know, jumping all over the place. But if you're young and you've got it all in front of you, especially in today's NFL, where it would seem that most in the media would be willing to make allowances for McVeigh in the future, say most I'm sure people would say, well, look, he coached the Rams like there's not much an offensive mind like him can do with the Rams when they hamstring them with a quarterback, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody knows the tropes that'll come out if McVeigh gets hired and fired. <clears throat> so, what's up? Go ahead, man. No, I was, was going to say, go ahead and finish it up. In, in that, uh, the media will find ways to make allowances for him such that it would enable him to get a job down the line, whereas I think maybe in years past, Taking a job like this would come with more risk because nobody would make excuses for you. Nowadays, the media will make excuses for you, and I think he's got that going for him. Here, here, one thing that I think is interesting, and you know, it's the NFL. They're they're always going to be the last to well, at least for now, they're going to be the last to adopt this because you know when you're on top, and obviously the NFL being more uh, popular than any of the sport in America, they they you know. They don't have to do anything to innovate because everybody's already flocking to them. This, this coming, what, a week after we saw a huge groundbreaking moment, I thought, in professional sports in America, where we had the first, uh, well, I guess not professional sports, uh, college women's game, had their coaches mic'd up for the entire game. Did you see that? I, I didn't, actually. It was, a, it was a women's college basketball game. They had their coaches mic'd up the live 
the entire game, the speeches, the halftime speeches, the timeouts. I think I saw everything. like an article about it, but not, I didn't yeah. see. Go on, though. Well, it's just so one of the things that I think, and I've been kind of obsessed with this idea about not getting information, right? Is that in 2017, when we're doing all these other things, we just had an ESPN megacast where they showed the damn national championship from 18 different angles with, and you could catch it, what was it from uh, Stranger Things, the upside down? They had a damn upside down cam for the, the national championship. You had every angle with every Bill Walton's dressed up like Apollo Creed, you know, <laughs> you had every broadcast, you had all these different ways to do this shit. And yet when it comes to head coaching searches, we get so little information, right? The, Sean McVay has had two interviews with the Rams as of tonight. We don't know what's come out of them, right? We, like, like, has he presented some idea of a plan, like a three-year plan? Uh, is, did the Rams say, you know, the, here's the, the threshold for which you'd be fired by X season to say if this doesn't happen after two years you or, or three years or four, you know what I mean? It's, I, I just find it amazing. We're, go, we're going into a season for college football where we're going to have the Shrine Game, the Senior Bowl, regional combines, the, the National Scouting Combine. You're going to have, you know, Gruden's, uh, you know, ESPN specials with all these That's guys. That's assuming Gruden gonna, doesn't take the job with the Colts. Sure, yeah, sure. 10 hours partying with Hearsay the other night. You're just going to have all this information about the, the quote-unquote interviews that these these college players are doing, and we just don't get any information from, from the coaching search. I, I think that's what I find most interesting, and the, the idea that you know Sean McVay is a 30-year-old potential NFL head coach, who would obviously be the youngest head coach in the history of the NFL. We just don't have any information on what he's what his pitch is, what what kind of a head coach he wants to be, what what he what he's saying is going to make him successful as head coach of the Rams. If not for 2017, then however long it's going to take him to make this franchise successful, I think it's one of those things that doesn't serve anybody well because we don't really know what's being said and what's going on. And you know, the, if the media isn't able to get that, that then all it's all we, we just went th went through this with Jeff Fisher, right? Where you've got arbitrary goalposts and the only thing you get is quotes from the media and as Jeff Fisher showed that's it's not worth shit it's not worth anything to come out and say it because you can just BS your way through it. I'm not saying Sean McVay is going to do that. Sure. What I'm saying is the medium doesn't offer any clarity. And if yeah, the medium sure. doesn't offer any clarity, then then we're left out of the mix and and as a fan I just I just find that unfortunate especially by 2017. And in 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 the the takes are chiming in Dan's Dan Greenspan with Hooray, double the mediocre football in Los Angeles, said no one ever. Bo Jason said, two bad NFL teams that are horribly run in a fickle sports town. I'm sure this will go well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how things tend play out for both the Chargers and the Rams because now, just like you tend to get with two draft prospects, they're, they're going to be measured against each other. Sure. And the problem with both of these organizations is that right now, they don't even measure up to their peers. Not so measuring up, using each other as a measuring stick is... <laughs> It's the blind leading the blind, you know? It's, the best of the worst, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just... I don't know. I, I, I'm with you on this one. So... <coughs> I guess all of this is to say, gun to your head. Then, who do you hire? Who are you? lack of information aside? 
Yeah. Based on what you do know, are sure. you in the driver's seat with McVeigh or are you in the driver's seat with Shanahan? It's tough. You know, I, I, I guess I lean towards uh, McVeigh only only because of the Wade Phillips news. Now, I, I'd say this. What, what I said That's in the round. shocking. I, I like the idea of Terrell Austin. You know, I, I like the idea of Terrell Austin as somebody who's got a ton of time, both levels, multiple position jobs, uh, and, and as somebody who can be a head coach, not not a coordinator. Um, you know, the 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 thing the thing I wonder about McVay is if he if he's so good at what he does, if he's so smart, maybe by year one, do I? So why hasn't his name come up before now? Well, in that, and, and maybe maybe he's not ready, right? And even if we hire him, maybe year one's not right. But maybe he's the kind of guy who, by year three, has has started learning from mistakes and is is wise enough to adjust, right? To be flexible and, and to learn ways to get this team work. Look, this is a team that just regressed from a seven win to a four win team. Went all in on a quarterback that that has nothing but question marks looking around that decision, and now the coach that essentially made that decision isn't there to take any more responsibility for it, and is handing that off to somebody else. Who I, isn't I don't around, know. by the way? Who isn't? <laughs> yeah, who isn't even around? So I, I don't. I don't know that year one is going to determine the success of the next head coach in any real way. Meaning they've more than anything they've got to be able to learn from 2017 to get this team going on, get on track for 2018 and obviously when the stadium opens in 19 uh, I, I think that may be more important than anything so I said Terrell Austin in the, in the round table I like Anthony Lynn too I know he was not a popular where are we at in the poll what's old Anthony Lynn up to now the last time that I checked, Anthony Lynn was chilling out 11%, though it could be up to 13 It was like Shanahan was in the lead with 46%, with McVeigh not too far behind him at like 47 or 45-ish. 40, if, if, if I'm being fully you know, honest, I'm, I'm just more excited at the idea of being able to be hopeful again because that's not something I've been able to do for the last couple of years under Jeff Fisher, whether it's Shanahan or McVeigh or somebody else that the, the, the idea that I can have legitimate hopes that the Rams are going to get better is something I can have again in a realistic way that I just couldn't have the last couple of years under Jeff Fisher. So more than anything, I'm just excited that there's a new era, right? I, I know there's a lot of people getting caught up on these different trains to say, I'm a Shanahan guy. I'm a McVay mm-hmm. guy. I'm this guy. I, I'm much more ambivalent than that. I'm, I'm an, I'm a new guy. And regardless, we're going to get a new guy. So I'm cool. I'm all right. And that's probably ultimately what it comes down to for a lot of Rams fans is they're not going to care who it is as long as they can do some winning. Um, yeah. well, so, and, and here's something I forgot to mention was you were talking about that dynamic between the Rams and the Chargers. I think you've got to expand that now. The way, the way USC played down the stretch, you get Josh Rosen coming back next year. There's a there's a good chance the Chargers and the Rams are the third and fourth most you know followed teams in Los Angeles in football next year. Yeah, and it's perfectly plausible that <laughs> the Chargers and the Rams are the least talked about teams in Los yeah, Angeles that, next year, com- like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. They compare him to Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, think about how big the hype train is going to be for that cat in July, in August. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing the Rams or Chargers can do that's going to come close to that. 
Now, Anthony Lynn, or excuse me, uh, Anthony Lynn is at 2%. I lied. Other. Other was at 100%. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Poor Anthony McVay, McVay is at 41%. Shanahan at 46 Other is at 11 And McAnthony Lynn's at 2%. So, yeah, that's... Third parties never have a chance. Uh, uh, third party. So, uh, third party. <laughs> Nice way, way to bring some political flavor to this, man. So what I want to ask you before we get to JB is I put I put these questions on here and we are going to ask them to JB, too. But I want to get your thoughts on them before we bring him on. Um, what do the Rams need most out of their next head coach? In other words, what are the most important traits the next coach has to have? Setting aside winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you've got to have, you know, your your priorities straight. I, I think the biggest the biggest problem for the Rams has been for years that winning was not a top priority. And uh, look, the, there's no way around it. There's no way that you can look at a franchise that gives Tavon Austin a second, a monster second contract, makes him the third highest paid wide receiver in the league, and say that the on field results matter. They just they just haven't mattered as much as other things of this this is franchise. There's there's no way that you can let a guy like Janoris Jenkins leave. And I get it. He wasn't perfect with the Rams, right? There were ways that people found to justify. Well, we'll be okay. That's not the point. The point is, Janoris Jenkins is a good football player. You want good football players. You had him, and he left you, right? He left you and made the playoffs and the Pro Bowl with somebody else. That's 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 the problem. So, what? Less than the on-field stuff and the X's and O's and identity, you know, an on-field scheme identity. I think you need you need a coach that instills the drive for winning with this team. You you heard a lot of that at the end of the season, John Fossil when he was talking about culture and chemistry. That that's got to be number one. Now my, my concern. Did you see is that, uh, the culture counter that uh, that they did? Uh, was it somebody did on? Uh, was it the? The recently relieved of his duties 49ers head coach, Tom Sula. No, or no, Jed York. Jed York. They did a culture counter I on did. Jed I York. Did. I saw that. No, uh, every time I hear that cult phrase culture, I think of the culture counter. But go ahead. My bad. And, well, and so similarly to the Jed York with, with the way the 49ers are wondering about things is – it, it, my, my only concern is, is a head coach capable of doing that or is the top echelon above the head coach where where, where those issues start to filter down, right? Whether it's Jed York and, and Balky, but obviously Balky's gone now, where, where it doesn't matter almost who you hired at head coach of the 49ers because at the very, very top you had a cultural issue. That, that Jed York's instilling in that franchise, you know, the, the way it trickled down to Jim Harbaugh that ultimately. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And one thing I'm curious about is that when, when Harbaugh left, he lambasted the, the, the 49ers. Yep. We've not really seen that out of Fisher. So since you brought that up, does that make you feel like maybe there's some saving grace in here that that may not exist? May not. I'm just maybe. may not. Maybe. You know, and, and look, the, Kevin Demoff hasn't been with this team for decades. He's only been around since 2009, right? So he came on with the previous head coach, Steve Spagnuolo. The results were horrible. It just didn't work. And, and they went to Fisher, obviously spun up for the move. So we, there's not a huge track record that 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 has given him or Stan Kroenke, who bought the team outright in 2010, the opportunity to really focus on football. And, yeah. and even with the stadium going on, maybe this isn't the time yet either. 
and I think it's fair to ask those questions, but I also think it's fair to say this is maybe the first opportunity that they've had to, to minimize some of these outside distractions to a degree. I mean, obviously with the Chargers coming in in a new stadium, there's still going to be some outside distractions, but to really focus on football and, and say, you know, clearly with Jeff Fisher, he had other responsibilities, right? And the other responsibilities that the next head coach isn't going to have. And so maybe you go to Sean McVay and say, look, if we hire you, we just want you to focus on football. We're not going to ask you to do a ton of the marketing. We're not going to ask you to do a ton of ambassadorship on behalf of the NFL. We're not going to ask you to you know, work with competition committees and do these kinds of silly things at practice with Britney Spears and all these other people, whatnot, all that stuff. You can focus on doing your job and being a professional maybe this is the first opportunity they've had to do that. I, I, my only concern is if, if they don't, and, and that's where really the cultural issue, the word I used in 2012 after the Rams fired Steve Spagnuolo was poisoned, was that the, the Rams as a franchise were poisoned from within. Uh, Jeff Fisher by himself and his time is five years with the team didn't extract that. Right. And, and you, you can say he was a failure or that he was ineffective at doing it. But I don't know that that means it was his responsibility, that, that it was his fault. That may have been something that you can't wh – whether it's Jed York at the Niners or Kevin Demoff and Stan Kroenke with the Rams, that, that a head coach alone can't stop. But that, and that's a lot to ask out of anybody. I guess we'll see, man. But I think that that's the biggest thing for the coach, uh, whoever it is that the Rams hire. you got you got to have a locker room that is sincerely tired of losing, man. Ty, Ty, this is a team that hasn't had a winning season since 2003. You can't say that enough. They haven't had a single winning season since 2003. I've, I've sort of taken on your mantra. Every chance I get, I raise up the point that we have never covered a winning season. That season. You know what I'm saying? You can't get around. That's not hyperbole. In almost, in almost any other situation, that would be hyperbole. This is a culture that only knows losing. Most of the entire roster only knows Jeff Fisher as their only NFL head coach, as their only cultural leader for how to get through a 17-week NFL season and a 36-week NFL schedule. There's just no way around that. And I think until you get somebody in that can change the mindset of a lot of these guys and change the mindset, not just for the football players, the entire franchise. I, 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 any winning is going to be flukish. You've got to have somebody correct that to try to create wins uh, before you even get to the field. And how, well, I guess we can bring that up with JB. But the, the final question that I ask and we can bring on with JB is, who on the current list of guys that we've run through exudes some of those qualities that you've mentioned the next <sighs> has to have? Or is it more more of a patchwork? Well, it can be. I mean, look at Sean McVay. When you bring in Wade Phillips, that changes the dynamic of everything. You can say, well, what does Sean McVay know about winning? What does he know? Well, then you bring in Wade Phillips, and you've immediately got somebody in his ear that has won, you know, won a Super Bowl as a coordinator. And, you know, has, has <laughs> like you said, one of the most extensive histories of any coach available in the, in the profession. Um and so when you can mitigate any flaws that the head coach might have in his outward resume with a hire like that, I think that at least allows them to focus on the more important stuff. Now, whether they'll be good at it, whether they have a plan that's actionable, like I said, that's one of those things that we don't get. You know, those those details from the interviews have not leaked out. And so it's impossible to know what standards are being set. But I, I hope they are being set. And obviously, as a fan, I hope they get met. But 
You know, it, it, it's really hard to know. And like you said, maybe JP's got some insight. Because what, what's clear, it, it, it's, easy, it's obviously much easier in hindsight. What's obvious is that Jeff Fisher didn't do anything to fix it. Jeff, Jeff Fisher ran the ship that was comfortable going 7-9 and nine and, and saying, well, we were close. Well, these things happen. Well, uh, these other factors just aren't fair. You know, that kind of thing. And, and always having – it's not an excuse but. There's always – it's not an excuse but. And, and once you've said that – you know, not even a million times. Once you've said that X number of times, everybody starts believing it, right? Your, your players start believing it. Your coaching staff starts believing it. That you, you start giving out contract extensions to guys that haven't really done anything to warrant them, which creates this culture of, well, you, you don't have to ball out because you know you got a, a, a possible huge contract coming your way. What, what, do you, what, what kind of standard do you have to set for yourself? Yeah, go back to LaMarcus Joyner. If you watch Hard Knocks, go back to what he was saying before the season. That was clearly a guy who was frustrated that the culture wasn't matching his passion. That, that's the problem. That's the problem. It's not a problem for LaMarcus Jordan. It's a problem for the Rams. That's a great place to leave it. And I think that's a perfect place to pick it up with JB. So let's go ahead and bring JB on the, uh, let's just call it the, the Josh and Joe hotline. We need, we need to get a sponsor for that. And we are back with the value meal hotline here. Uh, talking to JB long. We made up our own hotline. JB, everyone seems to have a, a something sponsored hotline. We knew that we needed one, so we made the uh, the Jack in the Box value meal hotline. Um, hoping we don't get sued by Jack in the Box. But uh, one of the first questions that I want to ask you, and then I'll toss to Joe, is Joe and I were discussing less. Obviously, the next coach needs to win, but setting winning aside, in your opinion, what? Do the Rams need most out of their next head coach? What are the most important traits he have that this team sorely lacks right now from your perspective? Well, I think the first thing that jumps to mind is the ability to hire one of, if not the best staffs in all of professional football. And, you know, I know that anytime there's an NFL head coaching search, hiring the right individual is kind of thought of as this panacea for all that ails a franchise. Well, I know this isn't like a, a real exciting thing to say at this point of the process, but I'm excited for the new head coach to arrive and get here because the work that he and his group do between now and uh, the draft and OTAs and eventually training camp and the preseason and week one, I think is ultimately far more important than who actually fills the seat. I mean, I think there's plenty of qualified candidates out there. I don't think there's any compelling reason to favor one extremely over another. Uh, everyone comes with a little bit of, um, you know, with, with the T-chart of pluses and minuses and, and a fair amount of risk. And the fact of the matter is a significant majority of coaching hires fail because not everyone can win. Uh, that's what makes, makes it competitive and that's what makes the NFL so great. So, you know, there's a lot of traits that I know, you know, check the boxes that you probably heard from Kevin Demoff or, or others throughout the course of the last few weeks. You know, I think commanding a, a locker room, I think uh, winning players over and re-engaging a group that I, I think had their their emotions shaken and their confidence shaken and their football abilities at the same time down the stretch will be important. Uh, but most, I, I think it's just about getting a new voice, getting someone who uh, has proven leadership qualities that can get buy-in. Because as I, I may have pointed out to you guys, there was a time... 
shortly around Jeff Fisher's firing where I went through the 53-man roster and only found 10 individuals who had played a professional football game for anyone other than Jeff Fisher. So in a sense, we don't know. They don't know what they might be capable of with a new position coach, with a new offensive or defensive coordinator, and with a new head coach who might ask, a, a little something different or a little something more of them, be it in the weight room, be it at the training table, be it on the practice field that might make them better individuals and might make their position group and their units uh, better than they were a year ago. Yeah, that's a good point. JB, you met, you mentioned the idea of the, a new voice. The Rams got a new voice this year. It was, um, Oh, who was the guy doing the, uh, the uh, the broadcast. Oh, that was you. That was you. You were the new voice of the Rams. I, I think it was. Hey, I uh, think it was Maurice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, little one uh, A, one B question. One sure. A. If you could describe this season from your perspective, not from a you know Rams football perspective, anything. What was your experience like in one word this year? Uh, is drinking through a fire hose one word? Can I like hyphenate those? <laughs> I'll count it. Hyphenated. I mean, so yeah, that, I count it. You know, I was. I think oh, go, one go B ahead. in more than in more than one word it describe your experience. Yeah, uh, you know I, I think I was braced and hopefully prepared for everything. I mean I pride myself on my preparation and being resourceful and being able to adapt to whatever is thrown our way. That being said, I, I certainly like all of us hope that there would be more touchdowns and more wins and more celebratory moments. But, you know, looking back on what 2016 was, hopefully next year and many years from now, we see that as an unfortunate means to an end, maybe uh, a step in the process that we didn't expect to have to take. But but it got us to where we were going a little bit faster. And look, there were there were cracks in the foundation that maybe coming to Los Angeles, we, we turned an eye toward, didn't turn an eye towards or just weren't aware of that kind of became exposed after that three and one start. And, and so if, if Jeff Fisher and his regime was not ultimately the answer to get the Los Angeles Rams into Inglewood and into the playoffs again, better to find out this fall, uh, than, than dragging it on any further. And, and I also think it's, it's nice that we're now in a pool of uh, off-season coaching candidates that I think are, are ripe for their opportunity, and I think there are a lot of good options out there. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm disappointed. Like, you know, like any fan, I'm sure we were hoping to be left with more than just the well. At least we're back in Los Angeles taste in our mouths. Sure. But um, you know, I, I still think it's a very intriguing franchise with a lot of upside and a really great fan base. And as I signed off from the Coliseum on New Year's Day, I just uh, I just kind of thanked everyone for having us, for having me, Maurice, DeMarco Farr, um, you know, apologizing that we didn't get to celebrate more wins and more touchdowns with them. But I also hope that it lends us a little bit of street cred, if you will, that, you know, we can say that that we kind of bought in at the bottom and we were part of the rebuild as well, that we just didn't kind of uh, arrive as Johnny come lately and and dance on in for the playoff run. What, what did you maybe learn this year as either professionally or, sure. you know, b- behind the scenes? Maybe what, what did you get better at, you think, this year that's going to serve you once we do get it right on the field? Well, I'll tell you, I do learn from Maurice and from DeMarco every time we sit down and do a game together or just have a meal together. I mean, they're amazing people to have at your disposal just in terms of learning about their experience and telling great stories and getting to know the league and its personalities and its strategies 
and it's insides and outs. I mean, they, they, they are insiders in the truest sense of the NFL meaning. Um, you know, I learned how to get back to radio. The vast majority of my professional experience since leaving Notre Dame in 2005 was on the television side. And I tend to think of television as being about the analysts and trying to keep my, uh, my words and my descriptions as minimalist as possible. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of a TV announcer be criticized for speaking too little. <laughs> so that's kind of my approach when I'm doing play-by-play on television, whereas radio is, is more demanding of my seat. Uh, there's always something that could be described uh, and, and captured for your audience. So no, I think, I don't know what, at what point it occurred, and certainly we all still have a long way to go, and I think we're only going to get better and uh, and have more chemistry. But uh, Maurice and DeMarco and I, I think at some point along the way found a great rapport and that just stems from genuinely liking each other and each other's company, which is a real positive sign for the future. And, uh, hopefully I delivered the adequate descriptions that allowed our audience to know what was going on at all times. And, uh, if that's the foundation we set for the future, then, uh, hopefully that'll make the wins all the more enjoyable that are ahead. No doubt. Very cool. What you got, Josh? Yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, <clears throat> the the recent news that broke out, which I'm sure you already kind of knew, um, being in NFL circles, is now we have the Chargers coming to join the party. Right. And it does look like the Chargers are going to be taking up residence at the StubHub Center, which could basically fit my high school. Um First and foremost, one of the things that Joe and I were discussing is that what inevitably happens when when you have two teams move or it, it this to me, I feel like it's going to play out somewhat similar to when two guys of similar talents like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, when they get drafted. Henceforth, the Chargers and Rams are going to be measured against one another. Because they're going to be L.A.'s NFL properties. And even though that internally they won't be judged as such, externally they are going to be viewed in that light simply because Los Angeles has way too many franchises. Uh, Well, it does have enough money, but certainly there comes a point where you have to look at L.A. and say there's not even enough money in this town from the richest of people to afford all the crap that there is to do. Um, what positives can the Rams gain from the Chargers moving? Is there, like, are they maybe more dysfunctional? Do they have a worse, oh, no, I'm just joking. But, 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 but in all seriousness, what positives can the Rams gain from this move? Because the last thing that, if you're L.A., that you want is for an established franchise to come in and steal what you're trying to build. Because the the Chargers, whilst not in San Diego, will at least have a fan base of people littered throughout California, whereas the Rams have been gone for 10-plus years and are now just working their way back in. What are the positives here for the Rams? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a really good question. I, I think... The hope has to be that it galvanizes a fan base, right? That if you even partially identified with the Los Angeles Rams, uh, that now is the time to kind of build that fence around your territory. And you hope that, you know, competition brings out the best and everyone holds true in Los Angeles for professional football. Uh, I, I think you're right to say that there will, will always kind of be the mutual measuring stick in terms of year-by-year wins and results. But 
you know, part of me also thinks that the sports culture that I've, I've observed, not just in football, but even to use like the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry as an example, you know, I, I think right now our sports culture is free to choose their fandom, not irrespective of their geographic location, but a, a bit more loosely than maybe the previous generation mm, has. That's a good point. And I think if if the Los Angeles Rams are just trying to look better by comparison to the San Diego Chargers, that bar is not being set high enough. And I don't think you would find anyone within our organization who's just saying, well, let's hope the Chargers tank because that'll buy us some slack. I, I really don't think there's anyone who looks at this that way. Uh, I think the Rams will compete against the Chargers just like they compete against the 49ers and the Seahawks and the Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta Falcons and everyone else across professional football to be the most compelling product in an entertainment industry. Um, and I don't think it's just about winning, although, you know, winning is the utmost priority. I think it's about being entertaining and having uh, great individuals on your coaching staff and in your huddles and out in your community that are winning people over and that are proving to be worthy of your entertainment dollars and time and eyeballs. So I, I think the competition to me is a bit broader than that, even though I, I know tonight and for probably many weeks and months and years to come, it's going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of jostling for position here in Los Angeles, especially as the new stadium gets built and they become uh, co-tenants. I'm not sure exactly that's the appropriate description for the Chargers-Rams relationship in Inglewood, but we'll use it for now. What do you think are some pitfalls that the Rams will need to avoid? Far. Obviously, you said internally they're not going to be viewing that. Uh, but what are some things that could possibly happen internally due to a move like this that the team is going to want to avoid? I mean, it's the reason I ask that is because it sort of feels like two alpha cats in one area. This doesn't usually work out well. And even if people bring up New York as an example, I always cite the fact that the Giants and Jets play in New Jersey. You know, <laughs> like so... Uh, there, there's even some space there. Can this work? And do you think it will? I do think it can work. And, uh, you know, not to completely do a 180 back to the previous question, but I, I do think it's intriguing that this move comes basically on the one year anniversary of the Rams announcing their move to Los Angeles. Um, it comes roughly at the same point that the Rams are going to be set to announce their head coach and the Chargers are also dipping into the coaching uh, the head coaching pools, right? So, I mean, there's going to be kind of a, a new starting line drawn, whereas the Rams got here in 2016. I, I think you'll kind of almost set like, okay, the San Diego Chargers moved to Los Angeles and they both hired new head coaches. Let's see where they go from here. Um, pitfalls, uh, boy, that's, that's probably above my pay grade. I, I would love to avoid them. Um, I know Josh Lewin. I won't like wreck the booth you know, if, if we have Sunday night football and the Chargers have Monday night football, you know, I'll, I'll be sure to leave it in good order. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to create uh, any any unnecessary rivalry there. But um, you say unnecessary. Is there a necessary rivalry? I, you know. There's going to have to be, right? Yeah. Between booth announcers. Like, tell me how that goes down. Like. Do y'all make like friendly bets? Do y'all talk trash in the book? How does, how does it work? You know, yeah, just to, to kind of tie it all together. I mean, one of the great things about going through the league the first time this year is the fraternity that is sure. NFL play-by-play announcers. And I, I can't thank um, 
all of them enough. I mean, just getting to walk down the hall and, you know, most recently hang out with Dave Pash, who's, you know, a lot of his college Pac-12 work overlaps with mine. And we have a lot of a lot of commonality there. I mean, to have him reach out and welcome me to the league and uh, let me know that if there's anything he can do to help in the process, like that's that was a special moment for me professionally, uh, getting to getting to chat with Kevin Harlan, who is you know doing Westwood One or TV yeah. and not necessarily a team announcer. I mean, I, those are really special professional moments for me. So, you know, I I don't know of any announcer teams that have. Uh, ill will or animosity towards each other. I mean, I, I tend to think that we're resources for each other. Um, there's there's such a massive amount of preparation to do to get ready for each game that I think we we try to help each other out as much as possible because there's uh, there's no way to be as familiar with the San Francisco 49ers as you are with the Los Angeles Rams. So uh, I, I know Josh, and I'll, at some point here I'll welcome him uh, to Los Angeles, even though he's already here as the voice of the UCLA Bruins. <laughs> just you guys you pack 12 folks stick together man that's what i like about us we, we, we all we all kind of stick together joe what you got man no i'm just i'm interested to see what happens when the eagles come in town i think uh jb i saw them talking some smack about you online you might want to want to really no well, they did not i'm just I, i'm just trying to stir up <laughs> i'd be more worried about going there because apparently they have a proclivity yeah. for kicking media members out of their press box out of, I, I, yeah and fight yeah. among it's, themselves but yeah, and then, but that that's a good point because that that was the whole fraternity that showed itself was when uh, whoever that was, I forget the two guys that that got in that fight, but I remember the the one that didn't kicked out was standing up for the other guy when right. the Eagles kicked him out. Good good story, but uh, let me let me ask you this: I was I was there week seventeen. I came out to L.A. went to the game. Oh, good. Yeah. Was it? Was it? Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, oh I'm, good, sorry. You know. I'm sorry we didn't connect. I know. I would have loved to. I got, I got stuck. I had way too much family stuff. But, you know, the, the, the one thing I did get to do was spend some time with a lot of uh, season ticket holders before the game, walk around the tailgates and stuff like that. What's your sense? And I, I know you, you, you've got a specific kind of uh, scope, right? A, a, an audience filter of, of what you, you get a sense of, of how Los Angeles, the, the common fan, and, and maybe not even the common fan, the different kind of fans, the, the obsessed fans, the casual fans, and then the non-fans. What's your sense of how Los Angeles accepted the Rams? And to, it, without, without looking to forward to the Chargers and all the stuff that's going to change this, did, did the Rams become a Los Angeles team this year, or do you think it's going to take more time? I saw somebody tweeted out something that Frank Luntz said, the only way that the Rams could become an L.A. team was to win a Super Bowl, which this seems silly, but then again, Frank Luntz seems silly. Did, 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 do, you, do you think that the Rams were accepted as a Los Angeles team, or do they have to do more to kind of gain a foothold in the city to regain that identity as the Los Angeles Rams and not just the Rams? Yeah, I mean, my answer to that question is yes. I, I do think the Rams were embraced with open arms. And I think, you know, on our way to that embrace, we probably stubbed our toe and scraped our knee and broke a few teeth on the curb, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Th- that we didn't hold up our end of the bargain. I don't think anyone from the, the training staff to the players to the coaches to the top level of management would contend yeah. otherwise. I, I, I think everyone on the Rams side of the equation is very grateful for the reception and the opportunity that we were given on that first night against the Dallas Cowboys with 90,000 in there for the preseason week one. I mean, right. um, the, the potential to me is no doubt there. And this is a tremendous sports city with plenty of available uh, sports, eyes, ears, dollars, hours, you name it. Um, but 
this city is the most competitive landscape for entertainment and across professional football, as we saw with the ratings decline this year, it's, it's a much more competitive scene. You can't just be one of the 32 teams and collect your paycheck every week. That's, that's not what it's about. If your product is substandard, then uh, you're going to turn some people away. Now, I don't think, you know, there's, there's no such thing as a fair weather Los Angeles Rams fan, right? Because if you were, you would have quit yeah. 5, 10, yeah. 15, 20 years along the way. So if you're a Los Angeles Rams fan, you've got it uh, kind of in your blood to, to be resilient. Um, and it's okay to be disappointed with what's, what's there so far. I think the next step for this organization, you know, aside from delivering to those generations who have waited for this comeback is to put out a product that is so compelling and so successful that you're going to win that lost generation of fans that we've talked about. Because, you know, again, yes, you're competing with the now Los Angeles Chargers for them, but I, you're also competing with the tremendous San Francisco 49ers fan base that turned out at the Coliseum and the tremendous Miami Dolphins fan base that showed up at the Coliseum and the Atlanta Falcons and everyone else. Uh, you know, yep. we're not so naive to think that the uh, the only colors that are in the Coliseum every week are are true blue and yellow, or royal blue and yellow. I, was, I should say. Yeah, I, I was gonna go. Yeah, I was gonna say true blue. Let's not. We don't. We don't need to start real fights. Uh, you got me. The, yeah, you got me on the UCLA track. <laughs> um, I was gonna go elsewhere with the question, but you brought that up, and so let, let me ask you this: the the, the ratings decline. Is is that something that's permeating the profession now as a concern? Uh, you know, do you guys talk about it in NFL circles and among the broadcast team, or you know, is there is there some idea of hey, maybe there's a peak that that's been crossed and and everybody's got to kind of step their game up, and that the idea that you could just coast as the most uh, you know the premier kind of sports and entertainment uh, medium in the country as maybe going to have to tune up and fight a little bit harder. And like you said, the competitive marketplace is getting a little bit more competitive, or do you think maybe this is kind of an anomaly and a, a one-off for whatever factor that you think is going to write itself next year? Yeah. I mean, definitely too small a sample size to draw any firm conclusions, but I do think it's part of an overall trend in the cord cutting, uh, you know, cable cutting era that, you know, I just cut today. Actually. Yeah, I think I, I did. I saw that. On, I saw that on Twitter. So, uh, you know, now you're still going to find a way to consume your your NFL product, and um, I, I think the league has to continue to evolve, like some other uh, college and professional entities have, to find ways to uh, get their product in front of you and to get you in front of their product in person. More importantly, in you know in actual stadiums, because yeah, you know, I look especially now, kind of joining the ranks of parenthood and whatnot. It's it's tough to car- carve out time on a Sunday for for my team or anyone oh, else's yeah. team. So, uh, and that's not new necessarily. So I'm not saying that that's, you know, part of, or an explanation for the ratings decline, but to answer your question, I don't think, uh, it's much of a conversation point for, for me or for my, um, you know, my circle right now, but we're aware of it. And, and certainly, you know, my work on the TV side and, and the distribution and, and ratings dimension. Yeah. That's, that's something we're sensitive to and we're trying to find creative solutions uh, to combating, but, um, you know, uh, we don't need to get into all the reasons, whether it's the election or, you know, the early product from the NFL or whatever, but I would, I would want to see two or three more years of lagging ratings before I would say, okay, how do we address this in terms of minimizing shortening timeouts, 
Uh, Here's what it is for me. Like, if you don't mind, I can I can toss in my two cents on why I cord cut. Like to me, it comes down to the fact that the the this is the information age. It's the technological age, and you've got a bunch of people who have grown up with not even just I wouldn't even call it an idea. I would call it an ideal that information can and should be free, and we get that information via the internet and and. You know, streaming is one way to deliver free information. And fortunately, for those who know how to work the Internet, technology is so great at this point that if you know what you're doing on the Internet, you can theoretically not have to pay a dime to watch television. And that's pretty much what I, in my personal life, am aiming to do. What's happening is I find as I talk to more people is that if they didn't know about it, because people didn't know about a Cody player, some didn't before I mentioned it on on my Twitter and on my Facebook. I'm like, what the hell is a Cody? And I tell them about it, and they're like, that seems like it's too too good to be true. And I'm like, well, it it probably is because it's illegal, but nonetheless, it's impossible to combat. It's like the sharing of music. I think we're in an era where media and I say this very loosely, needs to understand that their product is now the one that's going to be shared freely. And they're going to have to find a way, whether it's you know Spotify or Tidal or whatever the media equivalent of that is, the visual media equivalent of that is, you're just going to have to find a way to set that up at a price that's navigable for most fans. My wife was thrilled to sign up with PlayStation View because we get all of our television shows for more or less 50 bucks a month. And and our Cody player covers that which we cannot view. I can I can stream games. Yes, it's illegal. I'm not going to deny that fact. But this as long as we're having a very real conversation about it, these are the extents to which fans will go to avoid paying for some of the product and it feels like the cable companies are jacking up the rates without delivering a sustainable and ready product i I think people's gripe is less with the nfl less with you guys and more with comcast time warner spectrum whoever the hell it is that's providing their cable because they're not doing an efficient job at it. They're charging them out the wazoo and giving them crap service. I think that's the bigger problem right now. If, if Does that make sense? Some of that made sense, and some of it was way over my head. But I, I appreciate that you're, uh, you're so well-versed on the subject, because that, that was interesting to listen to. I, I, I apologize. I wasn't trying to go to, to, to confuse you in any way. But, yeah, I mean, what, what about it? Which part was confusing? Hopefully I can clarify. Mostly just the, te- the technology side of it, because oh. I, would, I wouldn't know the first thing to do on the Internet to get around pay for television. Well, basically, Cody is a little device. It's, it's an app, more or less, an Android build <clears throat> that you can buy, that people can put on a Google Fire Stick. You can put it on, or excuse me, an Amazon Fire Stick, a Google Chrome Catch. Uh, whatever you want, there are devices that you can put it on. And basically what it does is it scours the Internet for very, very efficiently, too. It's set up by, I mean, are it's we, got are, an interface. Are we, talking about, are we talking about hacking? What the hell? Nope. What, is, what in the no, world? No, we're not talking about, about hacking. What? We're talking is this about the Russians, something that basically Jay, allows Josh, you to what? watch 
television for free. Without and and you can watch old television too. You can catch like last night the wife and I were watching every single episode of the Flintstones, and that's not on any paid service that you can get, but it's free on Cody. Because all those streams are up on the internet, and it's the internet's where people are going for their product. It is is that the ultimate destination even for the NFL? There's they they were testing it by streaming games on Twitter. Look, I, I, all I know is 2017 is a weird age. I watched a high school lacrosse game last night in Pittsburgh that was somehow narrated by J.B. Long in the background. I don't know what I caught on the ESPN5. J.B., let me ask you this. <laughs> Mo- moving moving forward, um, you know, we, we talked about your year. We talked about the Rams year. Josh, obviously, you know, a lot, a lot of different things going, a lot of, a lot of different layers going on. What? What do you expect? Or what are you What are you prepared for o- over these next coming months? Obviously, the Rams going to hire a coach. Things are going to have to brand up and speed towards 2017. If you had to predict, maybe some just some general predictions. What 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 are you expecting to happen? What What do you think? Uh, what we need to prepare for as fans as we head towards 2017. Well, I think it's going to be a critical year in in free agency to be certain, and it looks like the Rams have a good amount of money to spend uh, and can create some more if they choose to do so. Uh, I'll be curious to see where and how they spend it, what they prioritize in terms of position needs, especially, uh, for instance, if there's a shift of philosophy or scheme on defense, you know, what position groups does that emphasize or de-emphasize? And and then subsequently with – whatever you are 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 not able to get in free agency how does that dictate your draft board and positional needs there um you know i think the good news is is the rams have more drafts and free agency equity than perhaps they've been given credit for if the compensatory picks work out uh they're still going to have a a complement of eight it sounds like and and just be down that number five overall selection which is going to tennessee uh so um I look at like what Atlanta did last season. They had a great free agent year. They had a great draft and they had the best offense in football. Now I'm not saying that the Rams are a good free agent class and a good draft class away from being the best offense in football. But I think it's a good model to look for that in this league, if you make the right decisions in the off season, you can get up the ladder pretty quickly. So, um, you know, there, there's some decisions to be made on the personnel side, both of the existing roster and what's available out there on the open market that uh, I think will be a great challenge for this new coach and whoever is helping him on the personnel side. And then uh, I'm curious to see what the staff looks like, especially if, if they do go with an offensive mind at head coach. You know, who does he bring in to work with Jared Goff? Who does he work, bring in to work with the offensive line? And then on the defensive side of the football, will they stay even front? Will they go odd front? What does that mean for players like Michael Brockers, Don Easley? I'm not too worried about Aaron Donald. I think you could put him at safety if you needed to. He'd be fine. Um, That'd be the yeah. most terrifying safety in the history of the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, look, the, the, up, the silver lining of having to go through this all in, the, in our first offseason back in Los Angeles is that it does kind of tie 2016 to 2017 pretty readily and easily. There's not going to be a lot of downtime this offseason. We're not going to be stewing on the way that last season ended because you immediately have reasons to spin it forward and to look towards that future that you're talking about. 
And Josh, the, any the, final question for JB? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the reason there won't be any stewing is because there can't be, right? With, with the way this season ended and with, I don't want to say limited because we've sort of, a lot of people have addressed the draft pick situation and that with compensatory picks, the Rams could end up with not necessarily the draft that they want, but a bet, bit better draft than doomsday analysts are making it out to be. Um, how piggybacking off of that, how do you feel about the upcoming draft? Well, I, you know, it sounds like it's going to be actually pretty rich and it's going to be chock full of underclassmen. I, I haven't seen all of the statistics, but I would venture a guess that we'll be in position to break last year's mark of most underclassmen declaring. Is that, is that the sense that you guys get too? I mean, I, I think we're going to just smash right through that. The draft gets younger every year. Yeah, I, I was commenting to that on, on uh, I think it was on WQAM 560 in Miami when I was talking about the draft just keeps getting younger every year and you just have no way to know. Right. The only benefit you may get is that some of these guys who ended not with – I would say like a rough season, like a Dory who went out on a, on a, on a note that I'm sure he does not want to go out on, you know, how does he weigh that up with, okay, could one year make me, and I think you tweeted about this too, or somebody, or you, I thought you did that, uh, a Dory that statistically he'd given up like a bunch of touchdown catches for guys who was supposed to be a lockdown corner, could he return to USC for another year? Uh, more than a Dory, how do you feel about the draft getting younger? Is that the problem here? Well, I don't look at this as a problem. I, I, you know, I think, especially given the position that the Rams are in going into 2017's draft, I, I think it's actually plays in their favor because it's deeper, right? If you take a pool of draft eligible candidates and you tack on an extra let's just say 25 or 30 underclassmen compared to what you've had in previous years, that's a full round <laughs> and you're, and you're not going early unless you expect to be taken. Ooh, Hopefully I don't you know, know about that. Well, I, think, I, mean, I think dudes get a lot of bad advice. Well, uh, to, to to speak of Adori, I mean, Adori's not going to. Oh, I'm not talking about him. Yeah. Remove him, remove him from the equation. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about there have been players where I'm like, what the hell were you thinking coming out? And oh yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of one junior in particular where I was like, who gave you that advice? And it was pretty much universal. Of course, It'll come no, that to happens. Me after it's ended, but go on. That happens everywhere in every draft and every sport. But I'm just saying, if if there are more individuals putting their hat in the ring, um, you know, that's that's a larger talent pool to choose from. And if if the Rams are down a first round draft pick this year, hopefully it means they can make a little bit more hay in the second, third, and beyond. Is I, is I guess the point that I'm making that there are all the the seniors graduating that would normally be there and hopefully some underclassmen that might not typically be there in, in prior years. I was just curious about the, the, the youth of it because I was looking at the new article Vice Sports. Patrick Ruby did a piece on it, and, and there are several people who are, including Tom Brady's agent, who are developing out a pro league here in Southern California uh, for high school players who feel like they're good enough to come out and play pro football, read nobody in the world. Um, but those who feel that they are good enough to step right into the NFL can come play in a pro league for a year or so and then move on and get drafted by an NFL team. But you don't have to stay in college. 
you have the opportunity to go to a league that is going to pay you. I think that's the big ticket there. What do you make of that? Do you think that 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 could improve not just the feedback that these juniors are getting as to whether they should stay, go, but also for the NFL? Because if you're a team and you invest, like you look at what the Raiders invested in Jamarcus Russell, how much of that money do you think they wish they could have back? You know, so in some ways, I feel like it helps the league and it helps the players. Where do you come down on 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 a youth league right here in sunny, sunny Southern California? Yeah, you know, in the in the current football climate, it's tough for me to to believe in to buy into an expansion right at any level. Right? I mean, like the the even the arena league is constricting. Like people are saying. Parents are saying, "I'm not going to let my uh, my kid play football." It's to to have an amateur. I guess it wouldn't be an amateur. It would be a, a younger level, like a like a farm level professional league, is what you're describing. Um, I think that would be a tough sell. Uh, I, the, the closest thing I can liken it to is, you know, high it's Mike kind of- Shanahan, Ed McCaffrey, and Donald Yee. Interesting, um, because like. A high school basketball player, right? Instead of doing one and done, he can go get paid in China if he wanted to, um, and then put his name in the draft. But we don't see many American prep players taking advantage of that opportunity. So I wonder if if high school football players would. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I'll send you the information on it via Twitter, but it just sort of popped up, and I'm with you on it. One I other mean, quick thought have, on that, Josh, if I could, yeah. one other quick thought on that is, it, and just to continue on that basketball comparison, it's much easier in basketball to show that you're the cream of the crop and that you deserve to be picked in the lottery because it's you only need four teammates, right? And even if they're terrible, if they're trash, you're going to shine. To be surrounded with capable talent, 11 on 11, uh, for instance, if you if you're a, a top notch quarterback prospect coming out of high school, <laughs> we use this argument with USC, right? Is it is it is it the fact that he's surrounded by five stars or the right. fact that he's that good? But if you're telling me, hey, instead of going to USC, come collect a paycheck and you'll be able to prove that you're you're still a first round draft pick, I'm going to say, well, who's going to be protecting me and who am I handing off to and who am I throwing it to, and are those guys going to be as good as I'm going to get at SC? I just find it curious. I, I tend to be in agreement with you, especially when it comes to, you know, you look at all the other leagues that have tried and died. Does this one have any more oomph to it? Because Tom Brady managed, Tom Brady's manager, Mike Shanahan, and uh, Christian McCaffrey are up in on it. I don't know. You know, it, 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 it could be more organizationally well run. But I find that when those organizations take off, people tend to cash out. And once they cash out, that's when the crap starts to trickle in. Is because Well, here's the other thing too, is is just if you were to take if you were to take that leap of faith, right? If you take a paycheck, that means you can never take a division one scholarship. Yep. So if football doesn't pan out for you, then you're a high school graduate and you're paying out of pocket for college. Um, that's a pretty big risk. It is. It is. And it's one that baseball players deal with all the time, too. You know? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, fortunately, I think the collegiate system is a bit more set up to help 
baseball than it is football. I think football is a bit more black and white. Wasn't Brandon Whedon a a, a minor league baseball player before he decided to come back? So, yeah, I mean, obviously there there weren't too many rules against being a professional athlete uh, with with regard to that. Uh, But because he did it in in a different sport, I guess it didn't matter. And you can be sure that the NCAA would push back on it. I don't think they're going to be thrilled with competition. So... Yeah, that's a really good point. I have no idea how that'll play out, and I'd hate to see a kid make the wrong decision for whatever reason and lose the opportunity of a lifetime because he took a quick paycheck. Because This is where I'm worried about people having bad guys in their ears. Chiming, just get that money now. You may never get it, son. Get that money now. You may never get it. Well, if you're patient, you could get a lot more, too. Mm. It's a risk. But I don't know, man. It's it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. All right, last question for you. Here's what I want to know. Based on what you've seen, based on everything that you've taken into account, year one with the Rams, what are your projections for 2017? Not necessarily on the field. Just what do you think is going to transpire in 2017? What can the fans expect? Both maybe off the field and and – within the organization as well. Boy, until we know who the head coach is and until we know what the free agent and draft class looks like, that's really difficult. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see a, a new quarterback coach, a new offensive coordinator, and a new head coach, you know, groom Jared Goff. Uh, I, think, I think we'll all be reminded of how much everyone blossoms when an offensive line is repaired. You know, I, I think, you know, not to put everything on those guys, but I, I do think if that group gets shorn up, like I think it can, um, both, you know, through adding and subtracting pieces, but also getting uh, to a scheme that, that maybe fits the personnel. Um, you know, I, I think we'll be taking less sacks. I think we'll be uh, trying to break fewer tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, we all know the receiving core needs work. I mean, it's, it's not just Jared. It's going back to Case. The drops were just uh, were, were too much to overcome. So, you know, it's not a bold prediction to say that they're not going to finish dead last in the NFL and in offense next year. I, I think I think the only place to go really is up, and I think they they will climb next year. Um, the the storyline of 2017 already to me will be. Uh, was Todd Gurley's sophomore year just a slump, or uh, was was that was that a, a real concern about where the Rams running game is? So um, those would be the two big pieces I would watch on offense. Uh, on, on defense, you know, I think, I, I think if Tremaine is back, the question is, can you get a complimentary piece opposite him? Because uh, it's, it sure was a shame that Tremaine was the only Rams corner to come away with an interception this year. They just didn't create enough takeaways. So that would probably be the thing that I would expect uh, to kind of hone in on on that side of the football is is just being more ball hawkish in the secondary this year. The Rams had great tackling defensive backs. They did not have great coverage or ball skill defensive backs, and uh, I think that was reflected in their takeaway total. And then uh, Johnny Hecker, I guess the mark to beat is seventy eight yards. So we'll see if he can drop any more <laughs> inside the twenty and if he can outkick his uh, career high. So kind of all three phases there. Yeah, loved what he did with Marquette King. I thought that was awesome, too. So, yeah, Joe, 
Johnny really is, man, because the media tried to turn that into a contest and he was having none on it. He turned it into a friendship. He's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Smart guy. Really smart guy. Really smart guy. So, Joe, what you got before we get out of here? Oh, and JB, I sent you those two articles. I sent you two articles via Twitter about that league. One is with uh, Patrick Ruby did an interview with the guys on him for Vice Sports. And and the other is a Yahoo Sports breakdown of what you can expect from the league by Dan Wetzel. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. Not a problem. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, no. No, I think JB hit it all on the head, man. With everything for 2017, I think it's a good place to leave it. Uh, we covered college baseball. We covered uh, TV streaming things that he and I don't even understand, and you're 40 years <laughs> ahead of us on. We covered Philadelphia Eagles media fights. I think we got it all in. J- where are you JB, guys, I think we got Where are you guys at on head coaching? How do you feel about where? potential hires? Oof. Are we, are we sure that Jeff Fisher isn't a candidate? Yes. Then I'm good. Then I then, then I'm good. No, no, we're good. Then we're fine. We'll be all right. We'll be I, I, I'll answer that one. Uh, I kind of lean more toward Kyle Shanahan just because of the number of times he's done it and with the different people he's done it with, just in the whole if you could get one. But and and I don't know any of this because a, a lot of this to me sometimes when I when I read you know, McVay wants to bring in Bum Phillips or Wade Phillips. It sort of reads to me like, you know, Jose Mourinho, if he gets the Manchester United job, said he's going to bring in so-so and so-and-so. I don't know if there's much truth to, to Wade Phillips possibly taking the job, but if Wade Phillips were to come in a package deal with McVay, that would push me over the edge to McVay, if, uh, if that made sense. Yeah. Let, let, no, me, let me throw this out there real quick, JB, because I do want to sure. do some promo. You, you guys, a great interview with Kevin Demoff. That if anybody mm. listening didn't peep that, go back and eat that. One, one of the things I was talking about earlier, JB, is that the idea that we don't, as fans, we a lot of time don't get a lot of information on what head coaches actually do, right? And so when we talk about whether it's Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or whoever the candidates are, the things we look at is what they did in different positions and not what their skills are for the actual job responsibilities of head coach. Now, you obviously point. doing the Jeff show. You get a lot of that information. What 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 is your sense? And, I, and I'm not asking you to tell me about Sean McVay's, you know, managerial experience and how he is as, a, as an executive, as a coach's coach. But but how, how difficult is it to, to translate the things that head coaches do? And especially what they do Monday to Saturday, maybe to to fans when you when you know that, and especially you know outside of game broadcast that you got these specific things you got to hit, you got time constraints, you got to hit your commercial breaks, those kind of things. Uh, how how hard is it to translate the idea, the job responsibilities of what a head coach does, and that the actual skills that they need to uh, excel at to be to be competent? Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, and we really do evaluate coaching candidates or or we put them out there based on what they've done in their roles as position coaches or coordinators. Right. (laughs) Um, but the truth of the matter is like to use Jay Gruden in, in Washington as an example, you know, ultimately he, he turned those reins over like most head coaches do. So unless you're picking a coach because you specifically want him to continue to run your offense or defense and play call, uh, look, I, I think they're going to have a, a heavy say in the scheme and the game plan each week. But but you're right. I, I think, you know, I, I saw someone criticize the Rams for casting 
such a wide net that it made them look like they were disorganized or, or maybe didn't have their ducks in a row. And you know, really? I know I, I said their yeah. net wasn't wide enough. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they've made really good use of the last couple of weeks. You know, were it not for some weather on the East Coast, this thing might be sewn up already. Right. Um, but I think that they've interviewed a really wide swath, both in terms of what side of the football they come from, what coaching trees they come from, uh, whether or not they played the Rams recently or not. And I, I think that really is going to serve this organization well, because it's been a handful of years since, since anyone but Jeff Fisher has been at the helm. And I think it's just great to get that perspective, to, to make connections through the league and to take in. All, all input, but I, I'm also a firm believer to go back to your point that winning the room is going to be like job number one for whoever yeah. comes to Los Angeles. And winning the room when you're looking into the eyes of Jared Goff and Aaron Donald is different than when you're looking in the eyes of Stan Kroenke and, and Kevin Demoff, certainly. No doubt. But if you have that ability, isn't that a good thing? I mean, you know, you wouldn't want to hire someone to come to Los Angeles to be the head coach who was who was a, a dud person to person. He may be incredible X's and O's in designing offenses or defenses, but he didn't really have a feel for the moment and what he was about to get into. So, you know, I, I think you have these these interviews for a very specific reason. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say that whoever gives the best interview should automatically get the job. There are certainly other considerations yeah. But if if McVeigh or whomever, quote unquote, crushed an interview, boy, to me, that's certainly a, a, a good check mark in, in their column for what lies ahead in terms of dealing with team personnel and media and fans in Los Angeles. Fun, fun question for you. And then we'll wrap this up, JB. Did, did you interview for the job with the Rams? <laughs> the, the head coach or going back to this summer interviewing for the radio job? Interview for the radio job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. How'd the, how'd the interview go? How, did you blow him away? Uh, probably not a question for me, but, you know, <laughs> hopefully I wasn't the only option left standing. I, you know, hopefully that's not happening. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I put everything that I've ever put into a professional interview into it. It was the best professional interview that I've ever had. So uh, something went, something clicked, something went right. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, here, here's the thing. Just a quick point on interviewing is I, I think I've mentioned this to you guys before. It's a lot easier to give a great interview when you really want it and when you really believe that it's right. And I, I think that's another great part about taking these two weeks and being methodical and talking to a lot of candidates is find out who it means the most to find out who is going to be motivated to make the most of this opportunity and find out who is prepared to jump right in. And, and those are the, you know, none of us can, pre- we don't even know what the schedule looks like next year. You know, you may be hand, handed murderers row in September and not catch a home game in, and start 0 and 4. You know, we don't know. Um, but you look at the coaches who have been hired so far and, you know, nothing against Vance Joseph or, or, you know, Doug Marone or any, or Sean McDermott, none of these guys. But as a Rams fan, do you feel like anyone's come off the board yet that you're like, dang. That's the guy that I wanted. Um, to me, that says that the Rams are still in a great position to get the guy that they want. And and I think that they've mapped out a great plan. They've done a lot of really good homework and a lot of great vetting. And I think whoever they hire is going to have as good or better a chance of succeeding uh, as anyone else on the marketplace. I really do. 
JB Long, everybody, voice of the Rams at JB underscore Long Rams Radio on IG, Snapchat, Facebook. What what else we need to throw out there? What you got going on this off season? We need to promo for you, man. Well, I've had uh, I've had USC's basketball game against against Cal from over the weekend paused on my DVR for about this whole hour that we've been talking. I'm going to finish <laughs> that off because I go to Salt Lake City tomorrow for uh, USC and Utah basketball, followed by the Bruins and the Running Utes on one. Saturday. Yeah, it's a big weekend. Big week in Salt Lake City. Pay attention to JB, y'all. Yeah, seriously. And if you haven't had the chance to check out the interview that they did called The Search, it is absolutely fantastic. Um, Must listen. uh, And genuinely does give you some unique insight on really what the Rams are looking for and, and where they're trying to head. JB... It is always a pleasure to talk to you, and I am sorry that I confused you. I will send you information on a Cody player so that you know what one is. And, Jamie, uh, he's, he's already hacked. He's already got yeah. your email, your bank. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you've been Cody'd. He's already coded you. You know, it wasn't it wasn't confusion so much as I get to learn something. I mean, that's a completely different walk of life for me. So uh, if you can save me money on my utilities, so be it. Basically, the Cody. There is an internet repository that people don't know about where every site or every show that has ever existed, people record and they'll upload online to various different sites. This aggregates them all and streamlines it so that you can search by show, search by movie. You can watch movies that are still in theaters. Now, sometimes the quality of those are a bit iffy, but when it comes to your television shows... It's a straight carbon copy of the show as it is uploaded to the internet. So in theory, if you wanted to cut your cable but didn't, you had a list of shows that you and the wife watched, you can still catch every single one of those shows. You would just have to wait until the next day, and then you could catch them, and it'd be free. You wouldn't pay anything, and nobody's going to come beating down your door because there are so many Cody players in existence. This is my turf show times plea. If you don't know what a Cody player is, check one out. They will save your life and save you money. Buy the boatloads. Still still sounds illegal to me, so I'm going to pretend I'm not interested. Yeah, I, yeah, I, pretty, yeah. I pretty much put a grain of sand after everything that came after an internet repository that nobody knows about. Generally, when you start there, you're going to lose me. It's yeah, sand. should so I be editing out this entire conversation? Really. It's, I love it. It's, it's an internet repository that everybody knows about, but I can say pro- no. Pro- <laughs> Producer Scott, Scott what, got what, you what you got, man? Yeah, I said, should I be editing out this entire conversation? <laughs> oh no, you're good. Cody is fine. What is the what's the stat what's the statute of limitations? How long, right? how long is good on Cody for? The only one of us uh, that's gonna get in trouble is me and I'm good. Don't edit it. I stand with Cody. Uh, JB, thanks for coming on, man. All right, you guys have a great week. Looking forward to talking about the new head coach of the Rams next time yes. we chat. Hey JB, right, thanks sir. a lot, man. See ya. Enjoy Utah, man. All right. Now we've got him. We've got all this. He's been codied. He's been codied. We've got all his info. <laughs> um, no, nah, but I should be not, man. If you if, if you really haven't if you really haven't checked it out, I, I urge people to look into it. It's 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 something that will save you money. It's I don't know, I don't know if y'all saw these commercials from Comcast over the holidays where 
the teenage girl tweets out that she's going to grandpa's and oh yeah oh god and then grandpa gets uh, comcast and the daughter's happy because they got great internet and great tv uh-huh. i'm the grandpa i'm the grand i'm literally just the grandpa who's like dude i don't know just make make it so i can turn on my sports when i get home I don't, I don't even I don't even know what I do. I don't even know how my remote works. My remote has buttons that I th- I think sync what? to like other devices in my life, right? So like I think one of the buttons on my remote like locks my car. I don't even I don't even know what I own right now, man. But so the, the Cody may be a step too far for Joe McAtee, but maybe for JB Long. I honestly honestly think that you could use it. You are smart enough with technology that when I say it has an interface, it's pretty damn easy to use, dude. You've got to be pretty incompetent to mess it up. Like, it says, what do you want to watch? Movies or TV shows? So you pick one. And then it says, well, do you want to watch latest releases? Would you like to watch popular shows? Do you want to watch... You know, old classics. It even has genres, 80s shows, 90s shows. Did you want to watch have something tried, from the 70s? Have you tried putting in Rams football? What does it say if it says, what do you want to watch? And you say Rams football. It explodes. It says Rams football does, does not exist. That one was too easy. Um, <laughs> Cody, turning off. <laughs> it will It will pull... Um, it will pull up uh, NFL football if you do want it. But again, yeah, it's the whole legality thing. But this is what it comes to. Everybody knew that streaming music was illegal back when they had Napster. I don't think that stopped anybody. And I'm dating myself here because if you remember Napster, then yeah. Most of you are going to be like, I don't even remember Napster. Like, you guys probably don't remember Morpheus or Kazaa either, but all of these things were crap that people had to, to download music, and, and that's where we're at with TV. Cody just lets you download TV. Or yeah, about, one, one of these episodes, we're going to have... Oh, go ahead, Scott. My bad. Oh, I was going to say, how about this one, Josh? How about Winamp? Going way back. Winamp. Ah, dude, Winamp was my favorite because of the skins that you could put on it. <laughs> oh, the skins. I had that Outcast skin for Winamp. That was my go-to. Uh, I had the hate breed skin. <laughs> we are, we are going to have – I don't know who the right person is, but we need to have on maybe somebody from like The Verge or something to talk about sports broadcasting. Because th- this was a seminal year in sports broadcasting. The NFL ratings are down. You had broadcasts on Twitter. You know, it, you, th- things are changing rapidly, right? Um, sure. And – yeah, you, you referenced it a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm just fascinated by where we're going. And, and in, a, in a year where, and I guess a year plus, right, about 13 months, we'll have the Rams having moved, San Diego on the move, and potentially Oakland on the move. Yeah, you, you've satisfied the, the L.A. requirement. You, you start to wonder, okay, well, what's next for the NFL map when they've been put – when Goodell, Goodell specifically, has been pushing Mexico City, London. The, the broadcast game for the NFL is, is just getting wackier by the year, and I'm just interested to hear from people on the – kind of like a J.B. Long, right? Somebody from the inside of NFL broadcasts and sports broadcasting to kind of give us the load on where that if stuff – we could get it. It's just fascinating. Beach. I don't know if we'd be able to get him, but Deech would be the guy like right. that would know all of this. And also, maybe uh, I don't know if he'd be good, but Ken Fang too. 
Yeah, Ken Fang from from Apple announcing and, and Fang slides. I yeah, can, he, I can get him. I've I've interviewed him before. Sure. Yeah, Ken Fang would be awesome for this. I think Ken would be a really interesting guy to talk to about this subject too, because awful announcing does. You know, they kind of border on yeah. media critique as well as yeah. looking at the numbers and where things are headed. Let's try and make that happen, Scotty. Let's try and make that happen. Hey, cool. I think he'd be a really good That's guy. A great one for the no problem. In fact, we're, I'm still connected with him on Skype, so uh, I'll reach out to him on Twitter and see where we sit. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, just you feel free to drop the show's name and, and we'll try and see if we can't get uh, Ken Fang on here to talk about where where the hell the NFL is headed. Joe, I think it's an excellent point to bring up and I like your curiosity on it because I'm genuinely interested too. Like, I know what I can talk about in terms of like PlayStation View and Kobe and myself as a cable cutting viewer. Yeah. But I am curious to see how that it, the interplay with the NFL, the overall ratings, oh, yeah. the experimentation with Twitter, what what does it all mean? I know what it does, but yeah. what does it all mean? And and yeah. I think that'll be a really interesting conversation for us to have. It's a good off season conversation. No doubt, and it's definitely one of those things that I pay attention to. The problem is I don't. I don't put personal experience into it. So like we, we had both the Twitter broadcast embedded in SB nation. And I put the post on the site. I didn't watch either. I watched, I watched the games on TV. You know what I'm saying? I'm, yeah. I'm the, I'm the old man in this group. I get to play grandpa. How's this work? Cause grandpa, I, I, I'm interested. Yeah, I, I really am. Joe, between the two of us, Josh and I will school you up on the new school of way to, of the way to do stuff. I, I, I think Joe's cool on it. Is is my general impression. I don't think he wants. Oh, to I'm de- I, I think Joe's cool. I think he's comfortable in his corner of the closet. Completely, completely. I mean, I'm still interested on what's going on outside of my lawn, but I'm cool with my lawn. My lawn, my lawn's good. My <laughs> lawn's um, good. Just to just to give give you an idea, Joe, and and I'm sure Josh, you're similar. I use my computer like. 90% of the time now. I have a TV, yep. but it's mainly to be used as a monitor. I plug my laptop into it and just stream pretty much everything. So, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, that you, I, you guys know I work for the Department of Defense at the Pentagon. There's a guy I worked with who now just took a nice position at the Navy. Uh, older guy, older gentleman, uh, been around federal government DOD for about 20 years, was in the Navy. He was, a, I think either an admiral or just underneath uh, when he got out maybe like 30 years ago. This man still has a flip phone. I guarantee his phone has not been in production for at least 15 years. I I, I have no idea how it still works. That's going to be me with my TV. 30 years from now, when everybody is just watching TV inside their eyelids and they just make phone calls from touching their earlobe, I'm still going to be the guy sitting on my couch with a manual remote control, changing channels, and refusing to talk to anybody about anything but email and snail mail. <laughs> uh, I am sending you as a Christmas present, Joe. Oh, no. I am oh sending- I've been Cody. Uh, I've been coded. You have been coded. I sent you a tweet from the mirror. Actually, it's more or less an article from the mirror explaining what Cody is and how it developed. It actually developed out of Microsoft. Xbox. I've been coded. Oh, this is Alex Jones. Microsoft. New World. I've been coded. Oh, man. This is going to be a thing. This will be fun. 
And just for the That's record, guys, I'm throwing my yeah. my hat into the ring for the Rams head coaching job. Why not? Yeah. I need I, a job. I, I've been <laughs> I've been binge watching Friday Night Lights. I play Madden. Why not? I, You're in. I, JB didn't really sound enthusiastic about his interview at first. I was going to suggest he put himself in, but, you know, he kind of interviewed himself out of the gig. I wasn't yeah. convinced. I wasn't convinced. Yeah, he didn't win the room. You know, you got to you got to start by winning the room, JB, and you didn't win the room. It's, it seems like he's really comfortable where he's at, and, you know, that's not what I'm looking Could for. Could you blame him? Would you want to give up the luxury of working with guys like – DeMarco and MJD to no, you know, work for. So, yeah. so this is this is the the appropriate way to segue from that to to, to wrap up this podcast. Why, why would anybody want the Rams job? And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean in a sincere way. Why would anybody want to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams going into 2017? What one reason? And it has nothing really? to do with the team. L.A. That's it. Is it? Is that really? Is that really no. it? I mean, no. What, what do you think, Josh? Money. That's money. You. Okay. It's the money. Anytime you have a job that is a lesser desired position, yeah. the pay almost always reflects that because you have to pay more. To get somebody to take the gig. Unfortunately, there can only be 32 coaches, but unfortunately for a lot of teams, there has to be 32 head coaches. Right. So they have to hire somebody. And if nobody out there wants the job or word is or word starts to get out really quickly that the job is a bad one, like you're already starting to see reports that the administration are telling people that they have to tie their future to Jared Goff. That's right. going to be a turnoff. Now, now we're not here to say whether or not that's true. I'm, I'm not here to say whether or not that's true or whether or not the Rams are doing that. What I do know for a fact, though, is that as a job is available and people start to talk about the downsides of it, the longer it's available, the more downsides come up. And the more people talk themselves out of taking that job, because it's, as you said in the beginning of this podcast, the top of the hour, Joe, it's not the right fit. It's just it's, it's one of those things that when, when you look at look, look at all the other openings and if, if I'm trying to be fair, I, obviously, as a Rams fan, I want to say. I mean, obviously, behind the Broncos. you got to say the Broncos was the best opening. But behind the Broncos, I'd like to think it's the second best opening. But kind of like what Scotty alluded to, the, almost the biggest in, in what you offered, none of, none of them had to do with the football. None of them had to do with the Rams. It had to do with the fact that you're going to get paid a ton of money and you get to be in L.A. And, and it's just one of those things where I wonder if that's the case. Well, what I was talking about earlier with the culture that that doesn't seem to be the right fit for anybody that's going to fix it. And I, I, I just I, I worry that 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 you guys are right that the, the that the best advantages of being a Ram and working on the Rams has nothing to do with being a Ram or working with the Rams. It has to do with external factors, and, and that's one of those things where until you correct those kind of issues, that that's the biggest problem. If the, if the biggest reason to be a Ram is that you get to live in L.A. and make money. Then, then it's not even about being a Ram. You know what I'm saying? No, no. it's not. You're right. It's not. It's not about buying into the organization. It's about garnering yeah. a paycheck. Unfortunately, okay. 
that passion is is fleeting and exists with teams for only a short amount of time. It's the, the hardest thing in the world is to keep that passion around your product for a lifetime. Yeah. And, I mean, how many teams have really succeeded at it? The Steelers and the Cowboys are basically it. Yeah. And the Patriots, right. No, because prior to 2010, the Patriots weren't anybody. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have changed the destiny of the Patriots. Sure, sure. But sure. prior to then, the Cowboys and the Steelers are really the only yeah. organizations that if you can make have. Down. And even then, how often has Jerry Jones been last? I, I take that back. Excuse sure. me. I am leaving out the New York football giants. Yeah, I do yeah. apologize because Demara's. Well, they should be remembered simply because of Kate. Well, and then you but, get, well, then you get the 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 Niners way back, but that's that's way removed. If we're going back to the nineties, the Niners were huge. Now they've fallen off, no doubt, but the Niners were there as an organization too. But they to were. keep that up for a lifetime, that passion of we have to win all of the time. The Niners are in the same, maybe even worse, complacency. Yeah, no, they're. The, the Patriots have it now. The Cowboys have it now. The the Steelers have it. The Giants have it. You know, it's just those are really the only four teams that I can come up with that for the past decade or so have been about it. Maybe, well, maybe it, the Seahawks. No, no, no. What about the Packers? No. The the, pa- I, the the thing with the Packers is the Packers are one of those weird. You know, it's a public franchise that yeah. doesn't have a, a, an owner. It's in, and I don't mean to disparage this part of the country, the people, but it's in Green Bay. Like right. you've you've got to have something in your psyche to want to play football in Green Bay after October. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's just it's just one of those things I don't understand, but it's clearly attractive. My buddy lives people. in Wisconsin, and, and he will back that statement up. He's like, I didn't understand it, it before it, I moved it, here, but you have to be a different kind of person to want to play football in these conditions. Like, have, have you looked at, like, the alcohol usage levels in yeah. Wisconsin? Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's like, and they know it. They know. Yeah. They know. And they they like fully admit it. And so I, I'm not mocking there them. There are almost still be in levels of through the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, one yeah. of the ten drunkest cities in America, though, so it's hard to do. Exactly. And so it's just one of those things. Now, here's what I'd say about the Rams: they don't have the, the Rams don't have to compete with the Cowboys, the Steelers, the Packers, the Giants, or the Patriots, whoever we're putting in that top organizational. T- I, I, you, until the last three years, you might have been able to make an argument about the Ravens. The Rams don't have to be anywhere. They don't have to be in that tier. This is what Louis said it, and we're going to say it ad nauseum until it changes. Has hasn't had a single winning season in 13 years. That's what they got to fix. They they've got to get toward. They got to get to the middle. If if we're breaking the NFL down in three tiers, the top eight, the bottom eight, and then the middle sixteen, the Rams got to find a way to get from the bottom eight to the middle sixteen. That's the real challenge, and that that's obviously for this the next. Takes time. some time. Yeah. Real, real quick, guys. Jimmy World the middle stuck in my head. Yes. Great song you, by you, the way. You got to make the next step. Um. But, real quick, guys, before we but, wrap up. Going back to those external factors that we talked about with the Rams job, um, I know we've talked about the Chargers moving to L.A., and it just popped into my head. I want to get your guys' thoughts real quick. Do you think the Chargers job has now taken a hit for those exact reasons now that they're going to be moving to L.A.? 
Yes. You, I, here's what I'd say. If, we, if we're arguing the best things about the Rams job are that it's about L.A. and the money, and that's part of the problem, then, then you're adding the problem to the Chargers, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're adding the idea that, that Los Angeles is now bigger than the Chargers are. And, and, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that, right? But, right. but then you're, you're, you're taking the Chargers-ness out of I mean, think about how proud the Chargers were to be Chargers and to be San Diego Chargers. You're, you're taking a we, – we just talked about the fact that they're probably – or reportedly going to go undergo a rebrand, right? So you're if that's the case, you're sweeping that history under the rug. And that – I mean, that's tough, man. That's, that's tough to think of that as a good thing, right? If they really want to uh, – and I don't even know how effective this would be, but just try and have some sort of brand loyalty and have some sort of fight with the with the Rams in terms of eyes. With the AFL kind of contracting, I don't know. I might think about possibly rebranding as the AL – or the uh, LA Avengers. Use the old the arena name. I like it. I, I don't. I, it's just so. It's one of those things that so rarely happens. I have no idea how they're gonna do. It. And the, the thing is, you gotta get it right. <laughs> Call uh, Chargers. Ian Rappaport just tweeted the Chargers owner Dean Spanos has called an 8 a.m. meeting on Thursday to inform his staff of the move. I think they know, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, so at least the Rams aren't that dysfunctional. Yeah, uh, I will say this, and this is something I mentioned multiple. I kind of wish we had had the podcast last year. Is I kept saying this to people inside who are worried about this, and more. It's temporary. The Rams are going to get to LA. They're going to get past this, and, and at some point they're going to be able to focus on the football. Day. So the, the relocation's over. All the stuff that we had to deal with last season, that's gone. That's all over. Now we're focusing on a head coach. Now we're focusing on Jared Goff. Now we're focusing on football. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, fo- we're focusing on the things that are actually going to make the team better. I, th- th- there should be little – and I, I'm not using it as an excuse the way Jeff Fisher did in terms of relocation being a, an, an excuse for losing. But you, you can't be surprised that a team that puts so much institutional focus on relocating and, re- and, and mentioning relocating and, and reminding people that they relocated. I, I don't see the charges that, – that's going to be an interesting point of juxtaposition is if the Chargers move and never talk about the fact that they moved. Just go in and act as if it's football as normal. I'm telling you guys the charging Rams are going to happen. I forgot about your Frankenstein's monster there, Scott. I totally forgot about your Frankenstein's monster, but yeah, well, the charging Rams, if it does happen, you should really get on suing somebody i will say that <laughs> it's gonna happen uh, guys but that's a that's a great place to leave it man like joe said with jb we've literally covered everything tonight for the rams podcast we even talked about pittsburgh high school basketball so joe that's what i love about these podcasts is they always go to fun places with you it's great to have you back and uh, i look forward to this off season chatting it up with you about how the Rams can get back to football. 
and we get to focus on football, man. That's the thing. It gets to be. We don't have to worry about. We don't have to worry about addresses of this and what's going to happen in the timeline of when they're packing up and having these meetings on the fly and none of that. You don't got to worry about none of that. It's just football. Get a nice football off season in. Focus on getting the team better. Hit free agency March 9th. We posted the dates today. We got from the NFL. Uh, calendar year flips over. So on March 9th, free agency starts. You got a month till the draft, a month and a half, pretty much till the draft. It's going to be good, man. And I, I, it's going to be one of the most fun off seasons I can remember. I'm certainly excited for it because it is now my first off season as a member of this team. I am now no longer a newbie. And uh, it's time. Right. It's time. It's time to cut off the training wheels and make this crap happen. So I'm looking forward to doing more. You guys have already seen more from us. Ram it down your throat uh, is going to be a weekly thing done by Blake Grissack and myself. Uh, we're basically taking three topics each week. Blaze, Blake's going to pick a pro or a con, and then I get to pick a pro or a con on the next one. And really – we're just trying to argue logically how you could see it from one way or the other. It doesn't mean we're advocating like some people thought. It just means we're making the argument. I hope that our fans can tell the difference, but uh, I am sure that people are still going to hate me with our inaugural episode <laughs> being me <laughs> purporting a trade for Aaron Donald or something. But, uh, hey, all I was Y'all saying is that if the Ram really needed draft capital, he is the only guy they have that could get them that draft capital. I don't think that's... Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry that I pissed so many of y'all off with that. It wasn't no, you're not. a suggestion. No, you're I'm not. Really not. I'm really not. I'm really not. So, look forward to more Ram It Down Your Throat. We've also got a second podcast coming with myself and Mycin, uh focusing specifically on the draft. And we're going to be having Derek Clausen on fairly regularly to look at draft prospects. If you haven't already looked at his work, I suggest you do so. He's down and dirty into his draft grind, breaking down Josh Dobbs as we speak. So uh, look for that here on Turf Show Times. Uh, we're going to be turning this thing into a fully functioning media studio, man. Like, we've, we've got ideas and, and, and we've got the ability to do them, so we're going to make it happen. So we just hope you guys enjoy it and uh, we, we look forward to the feedback and we will catch you next time here on Turf Show Radio. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So listen to podcasts, check it out.